Welcome to Tech Humanity, the weekly podcast where we examine the intersection between technology and humanity. In the 21st century, the so-called digital age, ones and zeros tend to determine much of what we call reality. Do you ever question the nature of your reality? Do you ever wonder how new technologies, things like social media, apps for humanistic ideas and so on shape your consciousness? Are we in charge of technology or is technology in charge of us? Will singularity become a reality and AI become the new creator competing directly with the metaphysical gods? These are some of the ideas and questions educator, author, cultural critic, and philosopher of technology, Dr. Tony Kashani, will examine in this episode and many more in the future. So please join us in Tech Humanity! Hello friends, welcome to Tech Humanity. I'm your host, Tony Kashani. In this episode, I will be discussing quality of life in the digital age. But before we get into all of that, a couple of short stories. The first one I like to call the American Dream. An American businessman was standing at the pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several large yellowfin tuna. The American businessman was very impressed. He walked over to the Mexican and complimented him on the quality of his fish. He then asked, how long did it take you to catch them? Only a little while, the Mexican replied. Why don't you stay out longer and catch more fish? The Mexican replied, I have enough to support my family's immediate needs. But the American asked, But what do you do with the rest of your time? The Mexican fisherman said, You know, senor, I sleep late, fish a little, play with my children, take a siesta with my wife Maria, stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my amigos. You see, I have a full and busy life, senor. The American was a bit agitated. He then said, You know, I am a Harvard MBA and I could help you. You should spend more time fishing and with the proceeds you could buy a bigger boat. And with the proceeds of that from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats. Eventually, You would have a fleet of fishing boats. Doesn't that sound exciting? Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you would sell directly to the consumers, eventually opening your own factory. You would control the product, processing and distribution, all of it. You would need to leave the small coastal fishing village and move to Mexico City, and then to Los Angeles. And you know what, eventually, moving to New York City, where you would run your expanding enterprise. The Mexican fisherman scratched his head and said, But, senor, how long would this all take? 
the American set, well, give or take 15, 20 years. But what then, senor? The American laughed and said, that's the best part, my friend. When the time is right, you would announce an IPO. That is an initial public offering. And then you would sell your company stock to the public and become very rich. You would make millions. Millions, senor. Then what? The American said, then you would retire. Move to a small coastal fishing village where you would sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take a siesta with your wife, stroll to the village in the evenings where you could sip wine and play your guitar with your amigos. The second story I like to call the important stuff. A philosophy professor stood before his class and had some items in front of him. When the class began, wordlessly, he picked up a very large and empty jar and proceeded to fill it with golf balls. He then asked the students if the jar was full. They agreed that it was. So the professor then picked up a box of small pebbles and poured them into the jar. He shook the jar lightly. The pebbles rolled into the open areas between the golf balls. He then asked the students again if the jar was full. They agreed that it was. Professor then next picked up a box of sand and poured it into the jar. Of course, the sand filled up everything else. He asked once more if the jar was full. The students responded with a unanimous yes. The professor then produced two cans of beer from under the table and poured the entire contents into the jar, effectively filling the empty space between the sand. The students laughed. Now, said the professor, as the laughter subsided, of course, I want you to recognize that this jar represents your life. The golf balls are the important things. Your family, your children, your health, your friends, your favorite passions. Things that if everything else was lost and only they remained, your life would still be full. Things that matter. The pebbles are the other things that matter, like your career, your house, your car, your computer, your other possessions. The sand is everything else, the small stuff. If you put the sand into the jar first, he continued, there is no room for the pebbles or the golf balls. The same goes for life. If you spend all your time and energy on the small stuff, you will never have room for the things that matter. Pay attention to the things that are critical to your happiness. Play with your children. Spend time with your friends. Take time to get medical checkups. Go see the doctor. See how you're doing. Take your partner out to dinner. Travel. There will always be time to clean the house, fix the rubbish, work on the next project so you could get a promotion, and all the rest of it. Take care of the golf balls first, the things that really matter. Set your priorities. The rest is just sand. One of the students raised her hand and inquired what the beer represented. The professor smiled and said, I'm glad you asked. 
It just goes to show you that no matter how full your life may seem, there is always room for a couple of beers. These stories are caveats about how we live in the 21st century. Caveats about how we should live. There's no denying the fact that advancements in technology have brought us so many better ways of doing things. Things in education, medicine, commerce, sports and entertainment, and all the other humanistic endeavors. After the Industrial Revolution, the general idea was that we would continue with progress of machine making, and the machines would do the heavy lifting for us, and that in turn would lift our quality of life. And I mean that on a global scale, and not just better quality of life in the Western Hemisphere. Well, fast forward to the age of personal computing, smartphones, the internet, and everything online kind of life. People working harder than before, and yet taking less vacation time. What happened? How did we get into this mess? There's so much wealth that we're aware of around the world that could easily eradicate much of the hardships that humanity is going through. There are so many skilled and knowledgeable people from right here in the San Francisco Bay Area to New York, to Shanghai, to Peking, to New Delhi, to Moscow, to all the places on the planet where people are getting interconnected, utilizing technologies, and online communication to find out about each other. And yet, there's a concentration of wealth that does not want to share its mass of goods with the rest of humanity. What's going on? Why can't we utilize the technologies that are at hand to create systems of distribution that could eradicate poverty, illiteracy, and cultural ignorance so we could come together. So we could eliminate borders so we wouldn't have immigration problems. We wouldn't have refugee crises. We wouldn't have bigotry and issues of supremacy. But we do. This makes me think of Karl Marx, who often gets a bad rap in the US, along with the word Socialism. Let me say it again. Socialism. Well, the fact of the matter is that Americans, regardless of whether they're rich or poor, benefit from socialism. Things like Medicare. Things like the firefighting force, law enforcement, public education, and so on. These are all socialistic endeavors. But back to Marx. Well, Marx was not against technology to begin with. He wasn't against efficiency and good production in a system of distribution. What he was against was the accumulation of wealth for the capitalists and the exploitation of all the rest of the people that produce that kind of wealth, the workers and the, the bureaucrats, the people in the middle, and, and so on. So 
Perhaps it behooves us to think about Karl Marx and his ideas. You know, in about 20 years ago, in 1999, BBC uh, did a poll. And this poll was about uh, finding out who the greatest thinkers of the millennium were. And many, many, many people participated in the survey. Karl Marx topped the BBC News online poll to find the greatest thinker of the millennium. That's what that poll was about. The 19th century philosopher won September's vote. This was back in September of 1999, and the results were produced in October of 1999. In fact, I'm looking at the results. Uh, and you know who he pushed? He pushed Albert Einstein to the second uh, ranking. But Einstein had led for most of the month and, in fact, in, in previous months. Uh, incidentally, the top ten included philosophers like Immanuel Kant, René Descartes, as well as the 20th century scientist, the amazing Stephen Hawking. Not a bad list to be on. So what, what did Marx have to say about distribution of wealth? Well, the idea was based on democratic principles things that we really cherish in places like America, right? We love democracy. So if everyone works hard, there's nothing wrong with that, but we don't necessarily have to work hard because of the technologies that are available to us. So if everyone works and we produce enough to sustain the planet, to eradicate poverty, to provide health care for everyone, then everyone will have extra time, right? By that, I mean time for things that matter, for the golf balls, for playing guitar with the amigos, to being able to play with one's children, to being able to have time in a relaxed mind where we can contemplate life and the meaning of humanity, to try and understand our role within the ecosystem. But we continue to have the problem of the gap between the rich and poor, the kings and the serfs, and so on. Let me give you some statistics. We have more billionaires on the planet today in the 21st century than ever before more billionaires within the, the tech sector as well as other sectors of humanistic production and so on. I'm looking at the, the latest numbers from the Forbes World's Billionaires list. And I'll just read the top 10. Jeff Bezos of Amazon, $112 billion. That's what he is worth, and that's how they, the language that they use. Bill Gates of Microsoft, $90 billion. But a little uh, asterisk here for Mr. Gates. Him and his wife, Melinda, uh, seem to have come to new light. They are using their wealth and their access and power to try to help humanity. And uh, it seems to be doing some good. Uh, perhaps more people can learn from Mr. Gates, uh, but it took him a long time to come to this place. Then there's Warren Buffett of Berkshire Hathaway, $84 billion. 
Bernard Arnold of France, 72 billion. Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, who today has 2 billion users on the planet, collecting data, not paying us for our data, but selling our activities and data and all that information to the advertisers, and the advertisers happily paying for all of that. Armancio Ortega of the Zara Retail Clothing. Carlos Slim Helieu of Telecommunication. Charles Koch and David Koch, the Koch brothers of the fossil fuel industry, and Mr. Larry Ellison of Oracle, who produces software programs for big businesses. And that's just the top 10. There are so many. What are they doing with their money, with their wealth, with their accumulated power and access to governments, not only the respective governments like the United States or Mexico, wherever they're from, but internationally how Mr. Zuckerberg has gone to India so many times and it's creating an operation trying to give all Indians access to Facebook free internet and so on so you could control the channels of communication you can control the platform on which people will do business with one another and all the rest of it so is it all about business is it a problem of ideology? I think that's a big part of it. But you should also think about these things. Why is it that we seem to go along with the program of capitalism? I'm not talking about social capitalism, where there's a marketplace, and people are allowed to do business, accumulate wealth, but pay taxes and help others lift their quality of life along together. And we do have countries around the world that tend to do a good job of this project. You know, countries like Denmark and Finland, you know, come to mind. But the rest of the world is still suffering. There are people that work so hard to get ahead. And yet they're told, well, you know, what you need to do is work even harder. If you're not making enough from your full-time job of lifting boxes for Amazon, then you know what? Go become an Uber driver. And that will get you extra cash. And that extra cash will translate into your ability to buy more stuff from Amazon. And on and on it goes. What happens to our quality of life if we get trapped in this game of capitalistic machinery? Will the machine control our behavior? Will the machine tell us that, well, we need to watch more of a program like Shark Tank to learn what it is that we need to do to get ahead? We need to participate in the stock market a gambling program that is set up so the bigwigs, those billionaires that I mentioned, could win out every time. And yet, people are buying into it. What's happening? Are we so caught up with the machinery that we can't think and we can't reflect? Can't we pause? Can we take a few steps back and think about our lives? After listening to this episode, do something for me, please. 
I'm guessing all you listeners have smartphones. And on your smartphones, you have many apps. Well, count the apps. Do a little math. How many apps on your phone do you have? And what do you use them for? Are they useful apps? Do they raise the quality of your life? Or do they take away from the kind of time that we were talking about earlier, the kind of time that was mentioned in the two stories that I brought up uh, at the beginning of the episode? Are they apps that help you become connected to others? Are there apps that can, can help you become healthier, smarter, more evolved, a civilized, more ethical person? Think about it. Evaluate your apps and have the courage to eliminate them. Delete the apps that you do not need. We need to pause and just stop for a while and reevaluate where we stand with the technology that uh, seems to be controlling us rather than us controlling it. Well, there are questions to be thinking about. You can do it. I know you can. Very good. Thanks for listening.